Is it possible that the voices in your head are telling you good things? And then we travel to what might be the most wicked place on earth. Canock Chase in England. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. First off, let's give a shout out to the newest supporter of our show, Brandine. Brandine, thank you so much for supporting the show. You are going to be our captain, our driver, our rowboat operator, whatever vehicle we take today. You're in charge of that. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help get the word out about the show. It really, really helps out a lot. We also got a merch store. We got a Minecraft server. You ready, Brandine? She's nodding. She's nodding super eagerly. She's ready to go. This this episode gets dark, and it gets dark fast. But the first story is nice, right? So if you don't want your day ruined, listen to the first story and half of the second story. So Brandine, let's go ahead and start off in the Carpenter Copter. We got a long journey ahead of us. We're headed out to the United Kingdom. We're headed out to Coventry. Helicopters cutting waves over the ocean. Octopuses are rolled up their tentacles. They're shaking it at us because we woke them up from their nap. Do animals nap? I know cats do. And like bears and stuff. But do fish? Anyways, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Maybe I should just research that instead of just asking random questions. Because fish sleep, right? I guess I should just Google that. Helicopter Brandine's looking at me. She's like, uh. Just, just, tell the, just tell the ghost stories, bro. I should do a biology podcast. I'm sure it would be amazing. We're going to an Aldi supermarket in Coventry. And it's May 19th, 2020. And as the helicopter's landing, we see a young man. He's pushing his shopping cart into the Aldi supermarket. And we're going to walk behind him. We're going to walk very, very close behind him. And we're holding up newspapers so he doesn't know that we're there. Which I don't I think he can still sense us. He just can't recognize us. And he's walking through the shopping market and he's like figuring stuff out. And he's like, oh yeah, I like to eat that. Hmm, but I don't like to eat that. I won't buy that. I won't make that mistake again. And then he hears, buy a lottery ticket. What? Is there like, he looks up. Was there like overhead speakers in the shopping center? Huh? He knows that he just heard someone go, buy a lottery ticket. He turns around and sees some totally non-suspicious looking people holding newspapers a couple inches from his back. He's like, not those guys. Hmm. He's thinking, should I buy a lottery ticket? He's bought, like, scratchers and stuff like that before, but he's never bought a lottery ticket. He's like, nah, that's weird. Must, must just be a voice in my head. It's not weird, right? Better make an appointment with my GP. Make sure I don't have a tumor. He drives home. He turns on the radio. It's like, no, the newest hit from the Beatles. Buy a lottery ticket. Bye, bye, buy a lottery ticket. He's like, I don't like this song. And now the new rap song from Tupac, who's still alive. He just came alive today. It's called Bury Me With a Bought Lottery Ticket. He's like, what? Tupac's alive? That's awesome. But uh, I don't want to hear that song. Click. Driving past billboards. He's driving past billboards for buy a lottery ticket realtors. And he's like, I'm not. I'm not. He gets home. He hears the voice in his head at the grocery store. He doesn't buy a lottery ticket. He gets home. He's putting his groceries away. Buy a lottery ticket. It's like, what? And where is that coming from? Now, I didn't know this. I always talk about how great the country of the United States of America is. We're not perfect, but we're on the path, right? But did you know? Did you know? This this upset me. This upset me as an American. 
Did you know that you can buy lottery tickets online in Britain? And, and I have to walk to buy my lottery tickets. Had I known that this is how history would have played out, no Revolutionary War for this man, I would have straight up been a red coat. I'd be like, dude, Paul Revere's about to start doing stuff, guys. He's over there. He's over there. And then I'm like, I know. I know my, my sacrifice will not be in vain. Someday my descendants will be able to buy lottery tickets online. So because I live in this prison planet, because I live in this dystopian hell future, I have to walk to the gas station to buy lottery tickets. However... In the, in the bright and sunny monarchy that is Britain, our once and future home, you can buy lottery tickets online. So he was like, he heard the voice again. And then he heard me rant, my anti-American rant. He's like, oh, that's weird. Why am I hearing that? Turns around, there's a couple people reading newspapers sitting in his house. He's like, huh? He goes online, he buys a lottery ticket, wins one million dollars. A million bucks. Isn't that awesome? That, that's a cool story. I really like And he's like, it's so funny because they're like, so what are you going to do with it? And he's like, I've always wanted to build a patio. Well, my, my neighbors used to laugh at me. I said I wanted to build a patio. And they're like, you'll never get that done. His name's Simon Wadop. I should have said that earlier. His name's Simon. But he's like, what are you going to do with a million dollars? She's like, I'm going to go on vacation. Wife wants me to go on vacation. I think my daughter wants a car. But yeah, I want to build a patio. Small dreams do not always mean small results. Isn't that cool, though? Hopefully, he doesn't get scammed out of it. That he is able to build his patio. Builds like a nice... Doesn't have to be super patio. Doesn't have to be a million dollar patio. But that's awesome. I love that story. The moral, the, the moral of the story is, if the voices in your head tell you to do something, you better do it. No, it's funny because you would think, 99% of the time, if you hear a voice in your head... We cover another story with that woman who heard those voices in her head telling her to go to the doctor, and it turns out she had a brain tumor, and then when they were, like, taking it out, or after they took it out, the voices go, bye. That was a cool one. The Tale of the Talking Tumor. You can look that one up. That was a really cool episode. Usually voices in your head are bad, right? They're not, they're not, they're not things that you want. But yeah, this one worked out good. As long as it's not like, buy a lottery ticket, and then sacrifice your cat for the winning numbers. No, it was just like, buy a lottery ticket, and he heard it twice. I'll say, what if this is time travel? Like, this is time travel, but it's so lame. You can't travel back in time, but you can only send your voice back in time. Maybe he uses this million dollars to help fund time travel. But again, it's just a microphone. You can time travel back in time with a microphone. Let's go ahead, Brandine. As you, as Brandine's hearing voices, she's like, must kill Jason. No, 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 that's bad. That's bad advice. That's bad advice. And she's like, I must fight the temptation to murder you. We finally talk her down. She hands around my throat. We're running out of time. No, no, no. There's just the voices in your head. She's like, must fight it. I'm better now. Now I'm going to have to be suspicious of her. She has to walk in front of me for the rest of the episode. But we're going to hop back in the carpenter copter. We're waving goodbye to Simon. He's sitting on his patio. And her, her, his daughter's driving a car and his wife, his wife's on vacation. It's the perfect life. He's home alone on his patio. We're saying goodbye to Simon and his family. We are headed out to Kennock Chase. That's in Stratfordshire, England. <laughs> Helicopters flying over this beautiful forested area. You listen to the first story. It was pretty nice. It was very nice, actually. This story, there's a limit where you're going to be like, yeah, I'm out. So we're going to land the helicopter. We're all going to hop out of 
the copter. And we're going to walk around this forested area. Now, this is a story that moves in degrees. Starts off just mildly annoying and gets dark. Let's look at this place of land called Canock Chase. I've talked about this theory before on this show. And recently, on my episode about did prehistoric creatures help build the pyramids, places, I believe... People talk about like haunted places. I believe places can be infused with energy. You can go to a babbling brook. You can go to a beautiful cathedral. You could go to a grove of trees and you feel at peace there. I believe the land, if the cathedral was 50 feet to the west, you could go in that cathedral and you're like, yeah, it's all right. But it's the piece of land that adds to the grace, the energy in that area. Because there may be nothing there, and you go there and you just feel at peace. There should be the inverse should be true as well, then, because we've all experienced that. We've also a lot of us have experienced this. You go to a place that is otherwise mundane, you feel chilled, you feel dark. Something's wrong in that area. You can't really put your finger on it. If a place of goodness exists, the inverse must be true. There must be a place that's bad. And while places like Yosemite or these natural waterfalls and stuff like this will attract people who want to see natural beauty. These dark places will attract the darkness in humans. Cannock Chase, I believe, is one of those places. We're going to start off with a more annoyance than anything. Cannock Chase is known for a lot of things. And one of the annoying things, I mean, again, if you saw this, you wouldn't be like, humanity is lost! You would just be like, okay, let's pack up the picnic, honey. We are going home. Cannock Chase has a lot of what British people called dogging. And that's basically, we're, so we're all walking through the woods. And the carpenter copter is now too far away for us to get to in case we have to run to it. We walk through the woods. I have a machete. I'm like chopping down brush. You guys are like, Jason, it's not that thick. I'm like, I'm just being prepared. And I break through this brush. And we see two people having sex. You hear the chair squeaking as I'm making the motion. These two people are having sex. And then there's like two other people watching. Now, I don't know if it's like America's Got Talent and they're just judging them. They're like, hmm, the passion's there, but I'm not sure about the technique. Oh, no, no, no. They definitely have the technique down, but I think that they're about to... Yes, yes, his back gave out. I don't know. Or if they're or probably masturbating, I guess. Would probably be more likely Simon Cowell's. <laughs> but it's dogging in Britain is having sex in public with the intent of other people watching. Having sex in public, people do that all the time. It was called normal sex for about 10,000 years, but this is having public sex and you want people to watch. So sometimes you'll invite people, be like, come on down, come on down. It's going to be a sex jamboree. And you post it online, a bunch of people show up. I don't know if I, I think that I would get bored of that, right? Basically, it's like live action porn. I'm not a fan of porn anyways. And I'm just like, what? Why am I? And I think I've said this before too. I cannot watch any sort of porn and eat at the same time. And you're like, why would you even do that? The other day I was sitting here, Sabine was over, and we were talking about Belle Delphine that, uh, I don't even know what, she's an e-celebrity, she plays video games or something like that. She had this launch video where she's like doing a ripoff of a Takashi 69 song, and I was eating, and I was like, oh, did you see about this whole Belle Delphine thing? And I pulled the video up, and she's dancing. She's, ba- I mean, she's basically in a bikini, covered in body paint, and I'm like eating, and I, I was like, I, I can't watch this while I'm eating. Like, I can't watch anything even vaguely erotic while I'm eating. That happens in Canock Chase. Not a huge deal. Again, we wouldn't want to be having a picnic and you're worried about ants, right? And then you realize you see someone's ant actually getting railed. 
You know, you know, you just don't want to see it. And that was a terrible joke. But anyways, just an annoyance. But that's not all. That's not all. I wouldn't, I wouldn't base an episode, my main story of the episode, wouldn't it be sex in public? This place is also known for Bigfoot sightings, werewolf sightings, black dog sightings, which are these giant black phantom dogs. ABCs, which I believe stands for Alien Big Cats. It's a big thing in Britain and England where they're seeing panthers and jaguars, and it's been going on for years and years. UFOs. Think about this. I just listed those. Because that's not even the most interesting stuff about Canock Chase. Not even close. When Bigfoot's like, oh, me no interesting, me start dogging then, you do story now. And I'm like, no, Bigfoot, you're just kind of mundane. I mean, that's kind of gross what you're doing, but we're still not going to cover it. We might watch it for a little bit. No, 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 we're done, we're done. We're over that stuff, right? Pie Green Tower, it's this facility that was built in Canock Chase. It's a pretty big area of land. It was built there. It was built during the Cold War because the fear was if an EMP attack, basically any nuclear bomb causes an EMP attack. It basically would shut off all the electricity in the area. All your communications are down. They built this hardened communication structure in case of a nuke or just a straight EMP attack. You wouldn't lose all your communications. Or, that's the official story, or travel back to the 1980s. You have these British and American scientists working in this facility. Hey, give me that syringe. There's a woman laying on a slab. She's been put under. And they give this giant syringe, and they look at it dramatically. And inside of it is a little tiny baby pig fetus. And they're like, hmm, if our calculations are correct, we inject this into the woman, she'll have a pig baby. Or a human hybrid. We don't. <laughs> we just have normal pig babies. We want a hybrid. Why do we want a hybrid? Because we want to experiment on it. Which doesn't really make sense, because you can experiment on humans, and you can experiment on pigs. Why would you want... Wouldn't that be the experiment? <laughs> can human women give birth to pigs? No, that's not the experiment, dummy. We want to have the, we want to have a pig baby, a human pig baby, so we can experiment on that. So they, they basically impregnate this woman with a pig baby. And they're monitoring her, and they're like, oh, one day they wake up, they're like, oh, it's been nine months, it's been nine months. If our, if our theory works... Any minute now, a little pig baby's going to jump out. So they're like looking at their watches and they're looking at the clock and looking at her watches and they're looking at her stomach and they're looking at the clock and they're like, oh, this didn't work. This didn't work. So what do we do now? It's been nine months. So the next month, the scientists are sitting around and they're still thinking, well, that didn't work. Like all of that grant money that we asked for, we promised them a half human, half pig and she should have given birth nine months ago. And then they hear a whack, whack. And they're like, what? Oh, we totally forgot that pregnant woman was still in the facility. So they go there, and she has now given birth to a human baby with the head of a pig. They look at each other. It's a stupid experiment, right? I don't think scientists go, well, we're trying to create this monster, but it wasn't born in the same time a human is. Therefore, the, the, there, it was a failure. Apparently, they either let her go, or they just forgot she was in the laboratory, because when she gives birth to this human pig, they're completely shocked. They thought it would have come out a month ago. They raise the pig baby as their own because at some point it becomes a teenager, starts wearing clothes, and breaks out of the facility. I hate you, stepdads. I'm out of here. And they're like, we're not done doing experiments on you. I literally brought you into this world and I can take you out. I'm gone, dad. I'm going to go find a new family. He runs. He sees a bunch of people dogging. He's like, okay, I'm done. You can put me back in the facility because whatever experiments you have planned for me, it's way less gross than that. I just saw a bunch of grandparents banging each other and they're like, bleh. 
So anyways, but that's not what happens. He did run off into the woods. What's interesting is that we've covered stories, like the Popelik monster was one, where he supposedly was in a train, and it got derailed, and it was like this mutant, and he's been running around for like a hundred years at this point. So you're like, even if the story was real, it was a normal mutant, <laughs> normal mutant, whatever that means. It was a mutated human who was still able, who would still age, right? These stories, this is what's interesting. So this story took place in about the 80s. They stopped seeing him around 1993. The last real recorded sighting of him was in 1993. So that would actually, the story makes sense on that thing. And even if the timeline was wrong, let's say that they did this, let's say they weren't listening to Genesis. They were listening to Peggy Sue. The story takes place in the 50s or the 60s as far as his origin story. That still puts him within a normal lifetime. I saw one site that says to this day you can see the pig man, but a lot the other the other accounts of him were like no they they tapered off. That makes me think that I, while I don't think the origin story is true, because even if the, if there was an ugly person running around Canock Chase who looked like a deformed pig, they're going to have a normal life cycle. Being a being ugly doesn't make you live longer. If this did happen in the 60s to 1993, that's about, he would be, you know, in his 30s. So that's interesting. The stories basically end, you know what I mean? It takes place in a normal timeline. It's not, this story started, this story happened in 1850, and to this day you can still see him, because obviously that's made up. It's a biological organism. So I thought that was an interesting story. So now we're going to wave goodbye to the pig man. He's waving, and then we see he's kind of like beckoning us towards him. We're like, what? Should we go talk to him? And then we we notice in the bushes there's some doggers, and we're like, uh, no, we're cool. Pigman's like, no, I just want to give you a hug, bro. Coronavirus, when's the last time you got a hug? And I'm like, oh, it has been a while, but I'm afraid this is a trap. I'm afraid there's a bunch of doggers around you. He's like, what? No, no. He's like pushing them back with his foot. No, no. I was just, I was just adjusting that bush. Shh. I was just shushing that bush. We leave behind Pigman and his pierced pig nipples as he stumbles off into the bush for his next rendezvous. We are going in levels of degrees. So first we have the doggers, and then we just have random cryptids, UFOs, stuff like that. Now we have this Pigman who had a happy ending, you know. He's found his true tribe. Black-eyed children is a very common story. It's actually so surface level as far as paranormal stories go. I've just kind of mentioned it. I've never covered it. But we're going to meet them in Cannock Chase. So the sun's starting to set on the area. We're walking through the forest, and we hear a la di da, la di da, la di da. And I, do you hear that? Brandine's like, mm-hmm. La di da di da di da. Brandine's like, sounds like a forty-three-year-old man trying to sound like a creepy kid. It does. I know. It's amazing. It's amazing. We find out the source of the sound. We see behind a tree. There's a little girl standing there in a white dress. La dee da, la dee da. Brandine's like, stop it! You've already set the mood. And then we're like, hey, hey, girl, you probably are in trouble, but there's no way I'm going anywhere near you. The other day, I was walking down the street here in Hood River. I saw a hobo throwing up, and I was like, I hope he's okay because I'm not gonna go see if he's okay. You just gotta make judgment calls sometimes, right? <laughs> from a throwing of hobo to la da We see this little girl standing there. She's standing behind a tree. And we're like, dude, we're not going to help you. We're sure in trouble. She slowly turns around and her hair is covering her face. And I lean over and I'm like, dude, I bet she has black eyes. I bet she totally, she's one of those black eyed kids. And she's just standing there and she's like, I need your help. 
I'm, I'm not doing a Michael Jackson voice. This is my actual little girl voice. Shimona. And let's cut. Let's get to the chase, okay? She has. She does have black eyes. She's a black-eyed kid. <laughs> that that just was going nowhere. She's a black-eyed kid. Now I normally don't talk about black-eyed kids on. I think I've mentioned them a couple times on this show. Super. It's. I. I think the story's intriguing, but it's super surface level. Everyone knows what black-eyed kids are. There's been multiple movies made about them. The main demonic force in the show Supernatural, which is amazing again, by the way. I'm watching season 11. I love it. The main the Supernatural force in that show, they have black eyes. The black-eyed kids are, are a now a they're on the level of a Bigfoot, a Men in Black, a UFO site, and things like that. Why I'm bringing them up here is that according to what I can tell, Canock Chase may be the first location these things were really seen at. There are sightings of black-eyed children going back to the 1980s. With this caveat, with this caveat, people have said there are sightings going back to the 1980s. The actual earliest documented case I could find of a black-eyed kid is 1998. There was one sighted in Texas. That was the very, it was like on an email listserv. Some guy was like, you won't believe what happened. And even though they are service level, if you don't know what they are, black-eyed kids are basically a phantom. They're young kids normally between the ages of, say, 6 and 12. They appear normal, except for the fact that their eyes are completely black. And they come up to your car. The very first sighting that we have recorded in documented form was in 1998. A guy was driving down the road. The children said, let us in your car, let us in your car. And he wouldn't. He kept driving. The black-eyed children, they'll appear outside your house, outside your vehicle, anywhere where you're contained. They'll show up. They'll ask for help but you need to invite them in. And there is no story, there is not a single reputable story of someone letting them in the house and them fighting them off or tricking them around. Every story ends that I've ever seen with them being left outside the house. So the implication is if they come in the house, you don't have the ability to tell that story. That's what's interesting about the mythology. I have not seen one reputable story, assuming any of it's reputable, but you know, demons and ghosts and all that stuff, I believe in that stuff. I've not seen one reputable story from a source that says, oh, I let them in the house, and then I turned around and I showed them a copy of the Bible, and they burst into flames. Like, the story's always in with them not coming in the house. So the implication is, they're going to get you if you let them in. There is researchers into the Black Eyed Children who say that reports go back to the 1980s. If that is true, Cannock Chase is the earliest reports of black-eyed children's. Whether or not they were first sighted in Texas, maybe they were taking a nice little trip during the winter. Cannock Chase has the most black-eyed children's sightings in one given location. Black-eyed kids are generally associated with some sort of transitory phantom. It seems to travel from location to location. Whether they're stories back to the 1980s, there's definitely stories from the 1990s to today of black-eyed children. And there was actually a gap of time where they weren't spotted in that area. This area is known for black-eyed children. And what makes it interesting was you do whether or not it was the first sighting, whether or not because I could say sightings go all the way back to 1850s. I'm taking that author's word for it. They definitely go back and they, it's long enough that there would be a time span where they weren't being seen in that area. So that's weird. And you have what's weird is you also have a deviation from the legend. The story is is the black-eyed children show up outside your house to be let in. These ones are in the wilderness. So there's no place to let them into. They're just there. So you don't have that defense of your house, your car. You have no way to get out of there. You're walking through the woods. You stumble across a black-eyed child. 
So whether or not it was the very first place that the Black Eyed Children were spotted, it definitely seems to have the largest group of sightings in a single area. So we got dogging, which is just kind of a bizarre fetish. We got pig babies. We got, and remember, don't forget, the ones I brushed over, werewolves, Bigfoots, UFOs. We got the Black Eyed Children. Now we're getting dark. In Britain, they had Operation Hydrant. And that was where the police basically laid out cases against 1,400 people for charges of sex abuse, pedophilia, child porn. Thing. Like I said, this gets dark. That's how Jimmy Seville got wrapped up. He was the big children's show presenter, top of the pops, all that stuff. He got wrapped up in Operation Hydrant. And while Operation Hydrant was going on, in Britain, you have the anonymity clause, where basically you can make it so your name's not available, the press won't go out to try to find your name. One woman said, nope, you can print my name, I'll totally go on the record for this, I'm going to work with the police. Her name is Esther Baker. She said in the 80s and the 90s, from about age 6 to 11, there was a high-profile politician who was abusing her, along with other connected people were abusing her. She said, not only were they abusing me, but the police would watch. They'd bring out police guards, and they would secure the area, and they would take me out to Cannock Chase and abuse me. Now, there's been stories like this labeled against Dick Cheney. You'll see people come forward and, and say this stuff about powerful people all the time. This story here, she said this, the police had 33 hours of interviews with her, along with 18 other hours of evidence tracing. The police said, we are not going to name which politician she's talking about and which judges she's talking about, but we will confirm that they are people that were targeted in Operation Hydrant. So we will confirm that. We're still looking into that. As of this day, no additional charges have been filed because of her testimony. But the police, that could mean one of two things. The police could say statute of limitations has passed. It could mean that we don't really believe her story. Or it could mean this dude already got so many charges against him. He's wrapped up. He's going to jail. Things like that. They can do all sorts of things. But she goes, I'm going on the record. I'm saying this. She says at one point she escaped and she's running through the woods of Cannock Chase. And a police officer runs after her, grabs her, and is leading her back. And she's pleading with the police officer, let me go. And the cop's just like, can't. Got to do this. Takes this girl. The, the officer who's supposed to protect her. She said, too, when one of her abusers was a judge, she goes, I was always taught that the law system was basically granted by God. These are the people who are supposed to watch over and keep order in our society. And I had this judge and I had this high-level politician. She named these people. And the police go, these people are being investigated currently. They've been wrapped up with Operation Hydrant. But they wouldn't say it and the newspapers weren't saying it. But she's totally on the record. As that I could see, there were no actual charges filed. But she was specifying Cannock Chase as this area. It's an evil piece of land that is just drawing evil people towards it. And whether it's evil people in the form... Forget the doggers. They're not evil. Again, that's just kind of a goofy fetish I wanted to start the episode off with. The You have like almost like a vortex of darkness in this area. And it's keeping supernatural forces in it. And it's a track... Out of all the places you could go, why would these people choose Cannock Chase to go to? There's actually a real reason for that. And we're going to wrap it up with probably the darkest story to come out of Cannock Chase. And people who know the area were probably waiting, not waiting, you're not like, oh, yay, but probably knew this one was coming. December 1st, 1964, nine-year-old Julia Taylor is kidnapped, assaulted, 
strangled and left for dead. And as someone riding their bicycle through Cannock Chase comes across her. She would have died due to exposure. She couldn't move. She was so weak, but she's saved. September 8, 1965. Margaret Reynolds, six years old, goes missing. December 30th, 1965, Diana Tift, five years old, goes missing. January 12th, 1966. Both of their bodies are found in a ditch in Cannock Chase. August 19th, 1966, Christine Darby, seven years old, goes missing. Found three days later in Cannock Chase, dead. Massive, obviously massive police presence trying to figure out what's going on. They're searching. At this point, these are known as the Cannock Chase murders or the A24 murders. Having these very, very, very painfully young girls being kidnapped, assaulted, and killed. 150 detectives hit up 39,000 homes, interview over 80,000 people. They have an ID on a car. They check 25,000 vehicles, still nothing. November 4th, 1968. Girl's walking through her neighborhood. A car pulls up, tries to pull the girl into the car. She breaks free. A neighbor sees what's going on, calls up the police, gives the license plate number. The license plate number ended up being wrong. The neighbor mixed up the last two digits, but the police go, this is something. And they started just going through the numbers, trying to figure out who it could belong to. They find Raymond Morris. He'd actually been interviewed after the first two attacks. And his wife said, oh, no, no, we were out to lunch that day. He couldn't have done that. But that was a lie. His bro- Raymond Morris's own brother, when those first two girls had gone missing before the bodies had been found, Raymond Morris's own brother went into the police department and said, I think my brother did it. I think if anyone I know could pull off something so disgusting to take little girls, because again, they hadn't been found. They're always hoping for the best that they're going to be found. But I think my brother, imagine, imagine that. Imagine having someone so sick in your life that you're reading the newspaper and you're like, I know who did that. Mixed with the torment of having to turn in your own family member, Raymond Morris's brother was like, I got to do this. He goes to the police and said, my brother, Raymond Morris, if anyone could do this, this is him. The police took his report and then misfiled it. So he was allowed to go on and take the life of another girl. And this is one of those killers that he has been tied to three murders, but you just never know. His, his, after his trial, his jury deliberation was two hours. He was guilty of sin. And died in prison. You could say that his murders created the evil in those woods. Or that he committed the murders in those woods because the evil drew him there in the first place. But I think those woods hide something. Whether it's a malignant force that was created from the blood of innocent people. Or something that is so dark and so deep and pervasive. It existed there before mankind did. Just waiting for evil to be acted upon it. Now serial killers and abusers are far scarier than a black-eyed child or a pig man. But the fact that all of this stuff could coexist in such a small piece of land should show us that while some places look beautiful and inviting and peaceful, so does a Venus flytrap. You don't know you're in danger until it's too late. 
deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.